Hey there, Rantineers and fellow film lovers. It's your host, Brennan McGee here. If you like our show, you can support us now on Patreon at patreon.com slash therealrant. And in all honesty, whatever you find between those couch cushions helps us out greatly. All right, on to the new episode. Hello, and welcome to another episode of The Real Rant, the place where we like to rant about the real stuff. My name is Brendan McGee, and sitting across from me, as always, is the illustrious sexy boy. Who are you, dude? Daniel Plainview. Oh. Hello, Daniel Plainview. Why, hello. Are you here for my oil? No, I mean, we're here to do a show. Can we get Corey back by chance? Oh, sorry. Uh, Hey, guys. How's it going? Oh, okay. Who was that weird guy that just left? I mean, it was definitely Daniel Plainview, but it was you pretending you were Daniel Plainview. What do you mean? I just got here. Okay. For the listeners, let's just pretend like it was Daniel Plainview, but it was definitely not because he probably died after that whole milkshake scenario. So Ah, all the boys came to the yard. <laughs> but what's your nickname for this week? Because you didn't do your... I mean, I guess Daniel Plainview. Oh, uh, how about Corey McMilkshake? Oh, perfect. Yeah. That's really good. Mm-hmm. So we have a really special guest this week. Yes. I say that every week, but it's literally the truth. Yeah, it's always um, true. <laughs> Our guest this week um, actually introduced me into podcasting. She is in and is a she. We were on a trip uh, in the UK uh, mm-hmm. together. Well, Corey was on that trip, right? I was, yeah. Yeah. We were on a bus with no air conditioning. Uh, very stressful. And uh, just I was just literally wandering up and down the bus because it was so hot on this bus. Uh, it was the middle of the summer in the UK on a bus in a muggy kind of like country. Well, it's not a muggy country. It's a beautiful country, but it can get muggy sometimes. Anyways. Uh, so I was walking up the bus and I saw this girl and I said, hey, girl, and she'll introduce her name in a second. I said, hey, what are you listening to? Because I could obviously tell that she wasn't listening to music. And she said, I'm listening to a podcast. And I said, what's a podcast? And I learned what a podcast was. Um, and I was always a fan of radio when I was a kid growing up. But what is your name? Because who is that person that literally introduced me to podcasting? What is your name? Hi, guys. My name is Paige Shirley. <laughs> Paige Shirley is on the podcast. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Thank you. There will be a lot of people that are actually pretty excited about this one, I think. <laughs> yeah, think? Yeah, I think so. I've noticed that like most of the people on the show are all just like friends from high school. I noticed yeah. that. <laughs> Allegra, Nick. Yeah. Last from the past. Yeah, exactly. And it's it's great, though, because we get to reconnect with people that we haven't seen in a really long time. And I don't think I've seen Paige in like five years probably yeah mm-hmm. it's been a real long time but uh she has moved to calgary uh living it up on the calgary lifestyle with mm-hmm. the cowboy hats and horseback riding yeehaw is there yeah. a lot of that going on i've actually been on a horse three times in the last year cool <laughs> that's pretty awesome <laughs> last time i was on a horse i cried really i honestly yeah. really hate it <laughs> really i don't like it at all yeah it's sketchy hey why yeah. I find it really hurts my knees. Really? <laughs> that sounds like a really like old excuse, but like it's just like scary controlling a giant animal. They never listen to me. Mm. I liked it because I mean, I, it didn't really hurt because everyone's like, it's gonna hurt when you get off. You're gonna have like, you know, horseback riding walk or whatever. It's it's like a weird little squat back and forth. Yeah. Yeah. I I think it's just a bigger bicycle seat. I don't know. I kind of look at it that way. Like I ride my bike a lot. I ride my bike like to and from work all the time. So, and I noticed that, like, if I ride the bike too much, it hurts my butt. Sure. Uh, same thing. 
after riding a horse. I mean, I have no real context. The last time I rode a horse was when I was 11. And I'm, I'm going to tell you that you really need to do it again to okay. get the true experience. Did you have to wear a helmet? Because I really don't want to. Um, no, but I am all for helmets. That's right. <laughs> I, w- I, wouldn't, I wouldn't put that past you. You have you. one brain. <laughs> <laughs> and you need that brain to think about why you need to put on that helmet. <laughs> That's right. It's my money maker. Yeah, yep. So as I said, we met Paige in high school. Uh-huh. I know her from just probably theater class. Did we meet in theater? I think so. Yeah. I'm pretty sure I did drama every single year. Oh, not yeah. Until I graduated both semesters. And I think you two yep. did yeah, too. We did <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's right. Yeah. We were all in the musical together. In That's fact, correct. there was a picture of you on our refrigerator. That's right. I saw that when yeah. I walked in. I felt like such a star. <laughs> do you know who that, um, do you know who gave that to me? Who? Sarah's mom. So Sarah, who was on Aww. the podcast for episode of the Prestige episode, mm-hmm. her mom gave me that picture of us in the musical uh, during Corey's stardom. Yeah, uh, playing Harold Hill in the Music Man. Uh-huh. That was Back actually in- my second choice for tonight. <laughs> <laughs> really? Yeah. Oh my god! I was like, I just feel like that makes so much sense. <laughs> <laughs> we talk. We reference that show so much on the podcast. Mm-hmm. It's it's uncanny. But um, yeah, no, we met you in high school uh-huh. and. I don't know. We always kind of saw Paige as like the very, you know, helpful, you know, really pretty girl that would, you know, be controlling at times that we ate. (laughs) She was helpful. And I remember that. But also at times I remember a couple of times where I was like, oh, Paige, just being Paige. In some countries we call that leadership. (laughs) I would call that leadership now. But back when I was in high school, I was very much whatever, man. And now it's like. No, I admire that because I do the exact same thing. I don't like it when people sit on their butts and don't do anything about something that needs to get done. So Yeah, I ran a team then. I run a team now. <laughs> it's dope. <laughs> and with that, let's roll over into the plugs. As always, you can find me on Twitter at Brendan underscore McGee. That is B-R-E-A-N-D-A-N underscore M-C-G-H-E-E. Thanks, Mom and Dad. And Corey, where can they find you? They can also find me on Twitter at Corey McEwen1. Because you number one, boy. Boy. You can follow the show at The Real Rant Pod on Twitter as well. If you are a creator or an indie filmmaker or a filmmaker in general without the indie added part, get in contact with us because we really like working with creators. We've done it in the past and we'd love to continue doing it. But if you're just a fan and you want to touch base with us, go ahead. Feel free. That's even better. Um, well, it's not even better, but, you know, whatever. It's, it's just, just as good. It's just as good. You know, it's fun because then we can say, hey, how's it going? And then, I mean, they'll say that and then we'll go, hey, how's it going back? I don't know. So either way, we'll get someone's going to say, "Hey, how's it going?" Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, which is always a good thing. (laughs) People care. (laughs) If you want to follow us on Instagram, you can follow us at the Real Rant, all one word. We post behind the scenes pictures of what's going on with our lives on and off the recorded uh, lifestyle of what's going on. I guess I don't know how to continue on from there. Mm. But uh, you can also send us an email at therealrantpodcast at gmail dot com. Send us something nice, mean, or in between. It's all juicy, just the same. And again, if you are a indie filmmaker or a creator or a just filmmaker or a fan, get in touch with us. Uh, we'd love to hear from you. That is just another way that you can get in touch with us. And if you feel really jazzy, you can hit that subscribe button and give us a five-star review because that really helps out the show. And uh, I don't know, Corey. I mean, would you agree with that? I would fully agree. Yeah, we've gotten some really nice ones, actually. Lately. We have. Yeah. yeah. I'm pretty sure it's just Matt's mom, though. So if it's Matt's, if it's Matt's mom, we appreciate you uh, being so kind and being so Even helpful. if it's not Matt's mom, we still appreciate you. Yeah. Even that Chad, the film guy, who wrote this stellar review for us. 
And last, but certainly not least, visit our website at therealrant.com because, yeah, we own that domain. Basically, you can find all the links that we have just discussed on that website. So if you didn't hear the beginning of this and you haven't skipped through, here's the part where you can go, hey, click on the Twitter thing, the Instagram thing, and it's all at the top left-hand page of our website. And Paige, you've got some plugs. Why don't you, why don't you go ahead and do that? Sure. If you guys want to see what I look like, you can follow me on Instagram at pshirls, P-S-H-I-R-L-E-S. And if you want to see my work, you can follow at Swimco everywhere. Yeah. And we're not getting paid for this ad. I just should uh, point that out. But Swimco is a pretty good company. Would you agree, Paige? Yeah, I'd say it's pretty awesome. (laughs) They sell swim clothing. Swimsuits for everybody. Ooh. Is that the plug? Everybody? That's the slogan. Feel good half naked. Wait, that's the slogan? I don't know if I'm going to cut this out or not, but (laughs) that's fine. No, we're all about like what makes your body beautiful. Okay, isn't what it looks like; it's how it lives. Mm, Very cool branding in the water. It looks. (laughs) (laughs) And for next week's episode, we'll be discussing the documentary film by the Maisel Brothers, Gray Gardens. This is our first documentary film we've discussed on the show, and we're really excited to give it to you. So stay tuned for that. Hey Corey, guess what time it is? What time is it, Brendan? It's time for the film of the week. Ha, ha. The film of the week. Ha, ha. The film of the week. Ha, ha. Give me the magic sword. Okay. The film of the week this week is There Will Be Blood. I drink your milkshake and I drink it up. <laughs> <laughs> the part with the finger thing. I it's love it. too much. That's, that scene. Oh, my God. I think it's like a 15-minute scene right at the yeah. end it there is. with, with yeah. Eli uh, Plainview. Or no, not Eli. Sorry. Eli Soundgarden, or what the hell is his name? <laughs> Sunday. Sunday, yes. Eli Sunday. Way off. That's the name of a band. Um, <laughs> um, but yes, Eli and uh, Daniel. That mm. scene is absolutely beautiful. And when we were watching it earlier today... Oh, it's funny. Corey was losing his mind. Oh, it's good. I told you I would eat you, Eli. I told, I told you. you I would eat you. I told you I'd eat you up. <laughs> and then what, Eli's just screaming his pants off. Yeah, he's like, stop! Stop I love it. his scream. Dude, tremendous. Paul Dano is a terrific actor. Yeah. I love... Do you not like Paul Dano? No, I love him. Oh, okay. Mm. You're shaking your head over there. He's actually... No, direct- I meant like more like, mm, I, he's uh, just amazing. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. His, he's actually got a directorial debut coming up here. Oh, oh excuse neato. me. The film is called Wildlife, if anybody really wants to know. And it's about like basically the parents separating, and it's got... Um, Carrie Mulligan and Jake Gyllenhaal in it. Oh, cool. It actually looks really good. There's a trailer out for it. But again, that's not the film we're talking about this week. Nope. Uh, We're talking about There Will Be Blood. Mm -hmm. Hopefully. It's true. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, most likely at the end of the film. And I think that's... But we'll get into that. But as we like to, we always want to ask our guests why they pick this film. So, Paige, why did you pick There Will Be Blood? There's a few reasons that I decided to pick this movie. I think the main reason is that it makes me feel really cool when I watch this movie. Oh, absolutely. Mm. This movie is so cool and it's just so unique. It's one of those movies that I feel like a lot of people haven't seen, but mm-hmm. they should see. Yeah. So I feel like pretty awesome when I can throw out this recommendation. When you said that you want to pick this film, um, I was very, very surprised because um, when I think about movies that Paige might like i do not think paul thomas anderson there will be blood 2000 oscar nominated film what do you think i i would have thought that you would have gone for a musical like you had said like you were like oh i would have picked the music man or whatever but when i because i give a criteria for people that are on the show and i say like a film that you feel like you can talk about for ages and that you were extremely passionate about and that you have a story to go along with it 
Um, and that's just because we like to connect with people that way. So, I mean, I, I've interrupted you already, but you have stories to talk about it of why no. you picked it. So, so I was saying, <laughs> leave just it up kidding. to Brendan, Brendan to interrupt you, but <laughs> just kidding. Um, and then I think the other reason why I really wanted to pick this movie other than like all of the amazing things about it, like the music is something I always think of when I think of this mm-hmm. movie. I love Daniel Day Lewis. Yep. I love Paul Dano. Yep. I love I mean, everything about this is really iconic. It kind of also has that kind of like Western style kind of like feel to it that Mm -hmm. I really like. Mm -hmm. And then I think what felt really relevant now is that I live in Alberta, which is so dominated by the oil and gas industry that there's things about this movie that I now understand that I didn't before. Mm -hmm. So I feel a little bit more connected to it. Like drinking milkshakes. Like drinking milkshakes. Um, And you were also saying that it has something to do with your, your partner too. Yes, my boyfriend Ryan. Um, works shout in, out. Shout out to Ryan. He works in oil and gas, and he was sharing this clip around his office of Daniel Day Lewis saying, I'm an oil man. No, he says, I'm an oil man. Oh, see, there you go. Yeah, there you go. See? Yeah. Okay, we try. Anyways, okay. Paige, sorry. Um, and so they're passing around this clip, and nobody knew what it was from. And so I showed him the movie and he instantly connected with it and thought it was the best thing he'd ever seen. So again, me being cool with good recommendations. So this film is kind of one of my favorite films uh, because the director is one of my favorite people in the entire world. And the day we're recording this actually is his birthday, June 26th, Mm. um, that we're recording this. And uh, I'm actually wearing my uh, master Mm -hmm, uh, t-shirt, one of another one of his films, my favorite film. But yeah, no, I like this film kind of very similar to what you were saying is it encapsulates this time period in a very kind of almost new agey kind of feel a little bit like it references the new while still maintaining kind of an outlook on the old a little bit kind of humanistic mentalities almost you could say. And yeah, and it's like none of that has really gone away from like just trying to conquer, try to drink the milkshake. You Mm. know what I mean? Like Mm -hmm. that's... That's what I feel like this film is about. And I think that it is so relevant today because we live in such an open open world with the internet and everything now. And people are building new businesses and trying to take the wealth and blah, blah, blah. Just tons of different businesses and stuff like that. But oil was the thing that never failed back in the day. Um, and we find that out at the end of the film, too. But uh, before we get too far into the film, let's go over to Tom with the synopsis. Hey, how's it going, everyone? It's Tom Romis here. I'm not here to cause a ruckus, but I am here to read a synopsis. All right, here we go. After Daniel Plainview discovers a silver mine, he profits greatly and converts his funds into the prospect of oil. Soon into his oil venture, one of his workers dies and Daniel adopts his young son. A few years later... A young man named Paul Sunday approaches Daniel with the offer of a drill site at the Sunday family ranch. Under the falsehood of quail hunting, Daniel finds the supply of oil and begins to set up a drill in Little Boston. However, Eli, the town preacher, stands to be the only thing in Daniel's way in achieving his goals. With the prospect of oil and money to be made from it, One thing can be promised. There will be blood. Ah, there will be blood. I remember saying that to old Jackie boy down at the bar one time after he made fun of me ma. 
One thing's for certain. There was a lot of blood. Mostly mine, but I did manage to get one in on him. Oh, Jackie boy's been whistling through his teeth ever since. Anyway, that's my story, lads. Uh, Thanks again. I'll see you next time. All right. Thanks, Tom. So I wanted to start off this conversation kind of in an unusual way where we don't usually start off a conversation. Um, Not at a specific scene, a moment, whatever that happens in the film, but with the title of the film. And I've been contemplating this title for ever since the film came out because I didn't understand it at all. And watching it recently, I've realized that the film is more a promise, if anything. Mm. It is a promise to the viewer that there will be blood at some point in the film, whether that's black or red. And we do get both. We get obviously more of the black than we do red. Mm -hmm. Uh, But when we get to the end of the film, that's what it inevitably comes to is blood because it is the concept of power being thrown back and forth to a point where eventually something will happen, consequences that are unfortunate, a death, right? Totally. It's it's very Shakespearean, um, and it's not something that you think about when you think about this film, kind of what you were saying, Paige, yeah. on podcast. Yeah, I think that the title of this film really scared me when I first heard about yeah. it. Mm-hmm. Um, there Will Be Blood definitely sounds super gruesome. It sounds like a horror movie. Mm-hmm. And I think when I would tell people, like, oh, I love this movie, they were like, oh, like, had kind of a visceral reaction to it. <laughs> yeah. But once you actually see the movie, I think it all makes sense. And, like, they don't really believe you when you're like, no, it's about oil. It's yeah. about blah, blah, right? So I don't know. I had troubles with the title. I'm not going to lie. I had troubles for a really long time. And I, I don't know if we'll ever actually know why, but I, I'd like to think that it has something to do with that promise of that there actually will be an eventual end where this is going to be bad. It references relationships. This film is all about relationships. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is something that Paul Thomas Anderson loves to direct and write about is relationships among people, humans. doesn't matter what it is, any situation. Like when you think of Phantom Thread... It's about a guy who makes dresses and the relationship he has with this other woman that he is making dresses for mm. as his model. Uh, you look at the master, it's the relationship between a uh, leader of a cult and a gentleman with severe, uh, a severe handicap um, be, uh, for multiple two different reasons. And this film is one about an oil baron. And it's just so random when you think about this director and how good he is at directing. Every time I think of a Paul Thomas Anderson film, I'm like, I don't care what it is. I'm going to go see it because he is so good at taking a concept and creating it into a, a film that feels like reality. Yeah, I think that's really true. Like... I think I'd be wrong to say that this movie is about oil because the oil is really more of a vessel to bring Daniel to all of these different relationships that he has. Mm -hmm. Like he starts off alone. The oil brings him HW. It brings him all these people around him. It brings him to the Sunday ranch. Like he's really has nothing without the oil bringing him to all of these different people. Yeah. And then eventually it does kind of towards the end, take him away from everything as well. Because he, he sort of has like a, uh, Ebenezer Scrooge kind of thing. Oh, where for he, sure. he just becomes totally rich and like locked away in his own place and kind of pushes everyone else away because no one's concerned about like oil or money as he is. So, don't you just feel like there is a huge slice of story that you don't get to see? Like, I would die to see Daniel picking out that house. Like, where does he live? <laughs> yeah. I want to know all the steps that got him there. Yeah. I don't. I don't think. I would say yeah. I want to, but I think that 
that's I think that's what I really like about the director is that he knows that you know how that happened. Mm-hmm. Um, and he does that a couple times in this, like at the beginning when he breaks his leg or whatever and has to like crawl his way back to town. You don't get to see that long, arduous journey. Yeah. But you know he's just like crawling for miles and miles and miles. He's to... basically saying you get it. We already yeah. we already know what happens here. It's more entertaining to you be a part it's more entertaining for you as an audience member to be a participant on filling in the blanks right yeah i like directors that treat you like you're smart like you're a person yeah Yeah. like you're involved in the viewing the script in the viewing the film like it's it's their movie but you're just as much a part of it as as they are creating it right and 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 this film being a film about humans and relationships in a setting and peer and uh, a setting in time and in 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 the world where oil is becoming this thing that is going to be life changing for everyone who's involved, it shows how an item can create chaos amongst a relationship. How it can bring and it can bring greatness, but it also can create chaos. It's like too much of something is bad for you, right? Yes. It's like if you eat too much McDonald's, something bad will happen. Like it's it's literally that. Like it's. Daniel Plainview ate too much McDonald's. <laughs> it's really true. It's like he's always going between good and bad the whole time. Yeah. Like there's yeah. always like, I don't know. You never know. He's chaotic. Like you never, he, like you never know what he's thinking, but at the same time you do because you try throughout the whole film to put yourself in the perspective of him. And the camera tries to do that as well um, with Daniel, but also tries to do it with HW quite a few times. I think HW is really his guiding force. Okay, yeah. He's yeah, his moral compass. He's, mm-hmm. You can see him in the back of all the scenes. He's the person he looks to. He knows what's going on. He's always trying to kind of point him back to good. Yeah. The camera always tries to get to him as yeah, well. Yeah, there's, there's actually a shot where it's kind of closing in on Daniel Plainview as and he's talking, and it like goes moves up. towards the kid mm-hmm. more. Yeah, And he's very plain-spoken. Mm-hmm. Like, there's nothing really going on. H.W. or Daniel? H.W. He never even speaks, and then he loses his ability to speak. Well, like, the, the I think the specific scene that we're talking about, though, is the one where he, like, there, there's the shot of... Um, He's in bot like he's in Little Boston. Yeah, yeah. This is the town meeting. Yeah, yeah. He's in the town meeting, and then, or no, it's not that scene. It's the first scene. It's actually the to... first time anyone talks for fifteen minutes. That's right. Yeah. There is so much silence in this movie. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. great. It's beautiful. I mean, there's one utterance of something said in five the first in? five minutes, yeah. which is no, which is the first thing he says when uh, Daniel is stuck in the well and he broke his leg. And he's like trying to get up. He says he shouts no, but there isn't any other spoken word until 15 minutes later. And that's the part where he is in a town talking about how there's oil in the hills. And this is my this is my son. And and <laughs> my son is this is my son and associate. Yeah. His name is H.W. And I run a family business because I'm a family man. Like yeah. it's just like and he uses his son, too. That's the other oh, thing sure. about this film. He uses his son as this as a cover for what his real motives are mm-hmm. is to just exactly. take everything and 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 that is it. Yeah, well he, he says is, at the end he's like I just need like a, a pleasant face to show people to like Yes. when he Yeah, know. when he meets his son for the la- the first time, yeah. For the He does it with him and then he does it with his brother. Yeah. Or his brother his, I'm putting quotation. Quote I think that's interesting to note as well is his is his reliance on oil in relation to what he actually wants. 
Like I, I have a hard time believing that oil is the thing that he actually wants. Like you were saying, Paige, you were saying that like oil is something that brings him his relationships, you know, HW. Mm-hmm. But when does it, but when he learns that it stops actually being that force or when he has almost an epiphany that it is the thing that would bring him happiness, he's left in his mansion shooting God knows what at the end of his hallway when he's got all the money in the world and he has no relationship with his son anymore. Yeah, I think it's unclear what Daniel really wants. Mm. I don't think he knows what he wants. I think he wants family. Really? I think he does. That's the whole, yeah, I think that's the, I mean, when his brother comes... He is, he's curious, obviously, because he knows how successful he is, and he mm-hmm. knows that his work, his his celebrity status as an oil man, is very big, and it is heard probably nationwide, um, because making five thousand dollars a week on two hundred barrels, we actually did the math and found yep. that is like almost two hundred thousand dollars in U.S. Yeah. dollars today. Mm-hmm. So it's a lot of money. But that notoriety obviously would bring people like his fake brother. But notice when he is interacting with his brother, there's a level of trustworthiness that he is not testing until later on. You give her, you come to understand that when his situation, uh, the the situation where they're swimming with mm-hmm. his brother, and he puts on this false bravado where he says, um, "Oh, you know, let's go out and have a drink with." ladies on the town and blah 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 and the other brother comes off as disinterested and he's testing him in that scene he's testing to see if if he is truly his brother because if he is his brother he would know that his brother would think in the competition manner that he thinks Mm -hmm. because that's the first thing he says to him when he meets him is i have a competition in me and i have a hard time believing that anyone else that's not my relative doesn't have that as well. So when he goes and does that thing, it was like, let's go out and have a drink. And then his brother kind of just looks there kind of like, yeah, okay, we could probably do that. And he's like, well, that's kind of a, it's not the reaction I would expect from you. Like he, it's almost like he's like, let's wait and see. Like he obviously has a, his curiousness up until that point, like who he is, but he, he's kind of saying like, let's wait and see until we get into the room um, where there are all the ladies and then see how you react because once they get there he's like that's not my brother that's not my brother my mm-hmm. brother would think like i do yeah my brother would not act like a fool like i don't know i i think that's the most important thing about the film is because it shows yeah like he wants family but he can never find it and he thinks that the oil is the one thing that will bring people to him to help him create family. Like, look at the relationship that he has with um, that little girl. Mary. Yeah. yeah. Going back to Henry. Yeah. <laughs> why do you think that he doesn't believe H.W. when he, like, brings out the evidence that he's obviously not his brother? Literally the first night that he meets him. Like, Daniel immediately asks him for ID. He wants evidence and letters. And then H.W. almost burns down their house trying to show him this journal that's showing him that he's false and he doesn't even like bat an eye at it. I think it's because he already knows that HW is not even his son. Okay. So if, if his son can find out that someone isn't related to him, then there's like a false hope in that if he admits to it. 
So if he admits that this man who's come out of nowhere is his brother, as he truly says, then he's almost admitting on the facade that H.W. is his son. Because if he believes the lie, it's easier than having no one. And I feel like if his son is the one that he raised and is technically his since a baby comes to him and says, look, there's this guy, he's not really your brother. And he says, okay, you're right, son. Then what does that say about his relationship with his son? How do you go on from there? Cause I would have a hard time if I was in his situation being like, yeah, you're, tr- that's probably right. But what about my relationship with you? That's true. But his relationship with HW didn't start on deceit. It started as a way of him having to take care of him. Yeah. Yeah, but that's another thing. That's another thing. And about H.W. Like, assumes that that's his actual father, doesn't he? But that's yeah, deceit, he though. he doesn't know that until the end. Yeah. But that's deceit in a way. I guess it's deceit from Daniel's perspective. Yeah. But Henry's coming there to deceive Daniel. Mm-hmm. But then again, I think that Daniel knew that, though. I, I'm curious whether he knows. This is kind of like the Eli Paul thing. Oh, like, yeah. Did Paul ever even exist? No, Paul did. Paul was the real... You think Paul was real? Oh, no. I know Paul is real because in the trivia, uh, there was an actor that was going to play Paul. Um, and then Paul Thomas Anderson was like, okay, well, what do we do? And Paul Dano was like, well, I'll just play both of them. And so he plays both Paul and Eli in the film. I have had that query as well. And <laughs> That's I was, the number one question I have every time I watch this I movie. I've had that exact same query as well, but... They are the same person, in my opinion, because, I mean, outside of the film, they are the same person because that's what I've read. But if you bring up that point, it makes for a good thesis, like, to open up the kind of psyche of who Daniel Plainview is. Like, does he he believe everything he sees, right? Because I think he believes that they are one person. I think he thinks it's two personalities. Oh, okay. okay. I mean, I think... This time I was watching really closely yeah. about how Paul was interacting with him. And he's really not that different from Eli. Yeah. And why is Paul never brought up again? He didn't even get very much money. Yeah. He didn't yeah. get what he was promised. He should have been in the town if he was going to get what he was promised, right? Didn't he give him like $10,000? Cash in hand? Not that night. He gave him $500 to tell him the right thing. And then he said, I'll give you more if I strike oil there. Well, I would assume that it, he's probably a man of his word, like he says he is. But then but again, where is Paul? <laughs> dun, dun, dun. Well, they say they say at the end of the film that he is um, he's off and he's got his own company. He's doing the mm-hmm. same thing. But then again, like that could be a, a he drunken also man's up tales. The church too. The so church. like, Paul is talking about the church as soon as he meets Daniel. Mm. Like, there's nothing different about these people. Mm-hmm. Okay. I always just call him Paul slash Eli. <laughs> They're well, the same never person. thought about that. Well, let's dig into it for a second. I mean, okay. they're supposed to be twins from what I understand. But if we dig into it a little bit and we assume that Paul is Eli, you it might make for the reason why Eli always bugs Daniel for the money over and over and over again. Oh. And it might because that wood in that church is not new or it's I mean, it's super new. Like, I don't know if you remember, like, the back end of the church is really, like, old and, like, shitty. Uh, Yeah, there's a lot of holes between those slats. Exactly. Like, is this symbolism or is this just bad craftsmanship? (laughs) And then there's, like, and then there's the back end of the church, which is all new wood. And it's, like, where did they get that money? Right? So, I don't know. 
That's a good point. That's interesting. Like, I've had that same question, too, multiple times, but then I was super curious about it, so I actually looked into it, because I've seen this film hundreds of times, uh, mainly the first hour and a half, because it's so hard to finish this <laughs> so long, and then the best scene is right at the end. Yeah. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I'd like to maintain that it is it is their identical twins, but it is weird that, I, I mean, again, seeing it only, like, the first hour and a half so many goddamn times, I always just thought that Paul came back later in the film okay but he is watching this again through the full thing this morning it is two hours and 37 minutes where the only brother the the brother paul is in it for like five minutes of it and then he's never in it again Mm -hmm. but yeah i don't know it's a hard it's a hard question to answer but Corey, do you have any thoughts i mean it's, it's very possible i honestly didn't even think about it um you always thought they were two different people yeah i just assumed okay yeah uh, m- much like maybe daniel plainview i just assume that what is presented in front of me is true or mm-hmm. yeah, i don't know can i ask another question then sure kind of like if we're on the relationship topic let's do it who won between eli and daniel i don't think either of them. i don't won. yeah i think they both lost yeah i mean like I mean, physically, Daniel did, <laughs> but uh, yeah, goal-wise, I guess goal-wise too. I mean, Eli was living it up doing his radio show, what do you which th- I would die to listen to. <laughs> but then he comes back and he's all like... He's broke. He's shit broke. Yeah. He has yes. money. And he's like, no, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a huge sinner. Do you guys understand that the fact that their relationship is based on control? Yeah. Like yes. their their relationship is purely based on like, it's very brotherly. It is. There's actually one scene that really stood out to me this time that I haven't noticed before. Okay. And it's kind of towards the end when Daniel, Eli comes marching up to him and like the mud and they start fighting in the mud. Mm, and yeah. like Daniel oh, just starts scene. going crazy on him. Yeah. It's a great scene. Because it's and all then, improv too, by the way. Yes. <laughs> and literally the next cut is him sitting at the table with oh, the yeah. mud on his face looking at his dad, which is hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> but then he just attacks his dad the exact same way, yeah. saying almost the exact same things that Daniel was saying to him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's just weird to look at Daniel and not think of Eli ever when you think about this film because it's like the film is based around their power dynamic. It's like at the beginning of the film, he goes, please, when you introduce the well that you mention my name in the church, Oh my gosh, the blessing is so big on my list in my notes. So awkward. Such a slap in the face. It is. And it's a huge slap in the face, but that's their first distrust. Aside from that initial meeting. It's like, you're not really here for quail, Mm -hmm. are you? Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? But yeah, no, that, that is the first kind of setting of the point where it's like, okay, these people don't trust each other. Like, And by Daniel saying no... I'm not going to say your name just by agreeing to it and then saying, I'm not going to say your name. It's almost like Daniel's like, no, screw you. I own this town, not you. Mm -hmm. But then you got to think like what's more powerful wealth or religion. And during that time, both things I feel like are huge, especially in a new world in the open West where everyone's cultivating new things and trying to create and, open and open source into new communities and things like that and it's like religion was huge in that process and oil you know brings us together because of wealth and 
and it creates an ability for people to transport themselves from one place to another in a faster time period. So yeah, and I mean Daniel kind of uses religion to get his way later on. Oh, when he hell just yeah. like he's just like yeah, sure, I'll go through your stupid uh, like uh, baptism I or whatever. Love that yeah, scene. He's like, do you <laughs> accept Jesus Christ as Lord? Yes, I do. Oh my yeah. gosh, <laughs> I burst out every time. At yeah. That time. Paige, tell yes. us about that scene. How much I love that scene. <laughs> oh, just because he just like, first they're calling on him and he's just like, blah, 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 I don't want to get out of here. And then he's like, yep, okay, it's me. And then he just <laughs> pops up and he's just like, so out of it. Like, I feel like he's just like, get me through this. Yeah. And then, yeah, exactly what you yeah. just And then a- after he gets it, or like Paul Dano or Eli's thinking, you know, okay, I finally got this guy kind of embarrassed or like, I'm kind of on the upper hand. But then he just goes through and he's like, yep, that that's a that's a what is that pipeline? That's a pipeline. Exactly. <laughs> and then he's like, "Damn, he got me again." And there's that glimpse of humanity when he starts talking about HW about what he did to his son. Yeah. And there's that moment where you think, "Wow, is he a real person? Does he really feel this?" And then the next second, pipeline again. Yeah. There's so many points that you guys just said that I want to touch on. Okay. Um, so the part where I think that both parties got something out of that baptism. I think that Daniel realized that he's a piece of shit dad. Um, and that's why he yelled that one specific part so many mm-hmm. times. It's not because he was pissed off at... This is good acting. This is Daniel Day-Lewis oh as a good actor. And this is what good actors do, is mm-hmm. they're able to convince you that with their reactionary uh, emotions that that he's not faking it anymore to try and get a pipeline. He had an epiphany during his frustrations that he has with Eli making him say something like, I abandoned my son, mm-hmm. to the point where that character who the actor the actor is portraying has realized that this is something truthful about himself that he needs to change. Mm-hmm. And we learned that guilt when he gets Daniel back, or when he gets H.W. back, and he goes to that dinner, and then the oil man from the other oil guy who tried to buy up all his land earlier in the film after um hw got sent away um which is the saddest scene of the entire movie it's pretty rough Mm. um and he puts it in his face he's like see i take care of my son look at me i take care of my son you look like an idiot now because you thought that i didn't take care of my son and it's like he's trying to relinquish his guilt in a way that he thinks will help or make sense and it doesn't it doesn't make it better because his son still hates him yeah my favorite part of that scene is when they order their drinks and they serve the other table first oh, yeah, and like, he goes up and goes, we ordered these first. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And if you look at Paul Dano after the baptism as well, he realizes what he's done. He's called him on his bluff. Daniel has called Eli on his bluff because yeah. Eli knows that if he uses religion to get him to admit to something like Jesus Christ or God savior, you know, that Eli would have won. But the thing that Eli doesn't understand is that to Daniel admitting that sucks all hell because his self image is so important to him. Daniel's self image and who he is to everyone else that he's trying to sell the facade of who he is to doesn't associate religion with that. And then the second he does that, Eli knows that. So if Eli thinks that if he gets him baptized in front of everyone, then, you know, he'll have won the control. But then Daniel's like, no, I'll do it, whatever. And then he finally does it. And then Eli's like, 
you see this look on his face as Daniel walks away because the whole town is just like, oh my God, congratulations, Daniel. Great job, Daniel. And then, and then you see Eli go, all right, everyone sit down. Stop. It's like, control yourselves like yeah, he has to figure this out on his own he's got to figure this thing out on his own and it's like because he you see this this mark of like you see paul dano in the far right hand corner of the screen being like oh my god yeah. <laughs> what have i done my yeah. only my only thing that could help me that was his, that was his power move that was his power move yeah. it was to get daniel to admit to jesus mm-hmm. that he was a sinner and he screwed up and then daniel just says screw it i'll do it you know what? If it makes you go away, and I don't have to pay you the five, the real control move on Daniel's end is the money, is the money that he it feels is. that he would give to Eli, because Eli always asks him for that five thousand dollars, yeah. and he never, Daniel never gives it to him. Mm-hmm. What do you think would have happened if they had just partnered up earlier on? Like if Daniel really had no problem being baptized and associating and associating himself with the church, why didn't he just do it earlier on? Because he would have died. One of them would have killed killed so? the other. Oh yeah, for yeah. sure. Really? Eli you does... guys both think that? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That what we got they, at they, the end they of the movie. They cannot co- coincide. Yeah, they they cannot coexist. Coexist. Yeah. What about for Daniel's image in front of the town, though? Like it always kind of surprised me that those people bought into him so easily without him being associated with the church when they're all such dedicated churchgoers. He's the Harold Hill. He kind of is. Yeah. I know you said you weren't gonna pick. You were gonna pick Music Man for your second <laughs> choice, but like this film is not that far off. No, it Harold, applies. Harold yeah. Hill is. He's he, a what? He's a what? I'm an oil man. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Like that's. He is gotten so good. He's looked at the competition and he's figured out what is not good about them, and it's family. It's connection. It's a relationship. Something, all of these things that Daniel never had, something that he's run away from his whole life and recognized that it's the one thing that everyone wants, not oil, not religion, it's family. And it's the one thing that everyone feels connected to. And yeah, like I think if if he had admitted to, or if he would have partnered up with him at the beginning, I think it would have admitted to a relationship that would have been false. I honestly look at them very much in the same way. It's like, Eli is God and and then Daniel is Satan. Like it's just very really? much, like it's very much like this coexistence that does not ever going to work. Like yeah. I mean if even if they were to partner up in the beginning, it would just fall apart really quickly, I think. Like it I really see them both as Satan. Really? And I see HW as God. Okay. Okay. All right. That's interesting. I definitely look at their relationship as just like pretty much the whole film. Like I don't see anything else in this film that is like like this film is very noteworthy, but the only thing I ever want to know is is the relationship between Eli and Daniel because it's like if Daniel had a brother, it would have been Eli because it was his greatest competition. And that's why they can't coexist is because neither of them see what they're doing is really the answer like like you think about it and it's like eli is the exact same person as daniel is except he's using like i said he's like using religion at his disposal and i don't even think eli actually believes in religion he doesn't he admitted it at the end exactly do you you guys agree though that he was faking it the whole time like do you think he is a religious um i mean i'm sure there's notes of like things that he believes in yeah but I mean, those sermons are such a performance. Oh my god! But then again, like 
like that sort of sermon isn't that far off from what I would expect in that age. No, no, I mean, I don't think so. I think, I don't know. Yeah, it's a good question. I feel like at one point he was religious and actually did believe it, believe in God. Who did? Paul, Paul believes in God. Who Paul? Same Paul. person. I thought it was the same person. I don't know. But Paul, <laughs> Paul of Eli believes in God. Okay. okay. Just the way he talked about the church was so much more earnest mm. and so much. I don't know. He that he I think truly wanted that money for the church, mm. but Eli I think it was always for himself because that church seemed to be built without any of Daniel's money. So, in film, we always have to rely on our protagonists as the voice of truth, and our protagonist in this film is a liar in every shape and form. But the camera focuses so much on him. And even H.W., the person he calls his son, who we rely on to some extent to try and be the saving grace to his faults as this person that says that he speaks truth but isn't, isn't helpful at all because he himself is a lie as well. So what do you guys think of his story and where he comes from? Because like we see a man at the beginning of the film start out and be created. Like It's almost like the creation of Daniel Plainview mm-hmm. is right at the beginning of the movie we get this person who is that, that persona kind of thing that persona yeah. like i don't think that he always had that persona i don't think that that is always who he was no he's a weak man he is a he's a prospector like you see him in the beginning of the film and then you see him 15 minutes later and he's like and it's like it's like four or five years later and he's already got like barrels of oil yep. and he's walking into towns with a kid Paige, you're looking over there like you want to say something. Yeah, because I had a really different interpretation of that. Okay. Kind of that first scene illustrates to me that he has been the same person the whole time. I mean, from the moment that we see him, well, he breaks his leg. Mm -hmm. He makes it all the way back to that place to make sure that he gets his money for the oil. He's out there working by himself. He's been a hustler since the beginning. And then he just kind of got a leg up once he got this kid and a team behind him. I don't know. To me, Daniel has been the same person through and through. And then he just, oil became that vessel to get him those relationships to build up what he became. Yeah. That makes sense. I I, I mean, I like the way you say it, <laughs> than the way I was saying it. But I think that, yeah, I think I, I was just trying to open up the, the box of the possibility that is, is Daniel just as much a liar to the people in the film as he is to the audience. Does that make sense? It does. Because well, I don't think he really lies to the audience per se. Like he's not a an unreliable narrator or, or whatever that is. Right. But anytime he talks about his past, he says he doesn't want to talk about it. And then he ends up talking about it. And then it's like, is he thinking about what he wants to lie about? Or is he testing? Like, what's he doing? I think there's some pre-rehearsed lies because he has a few different answers for whatever happened to HW's mom. Right? He says that she dies, that. and then he says he doesn't want to talk about it, yep. and he just kind of keeps it to himself. So I think there's a few things that maybe he's just been lying to himself about for a while. Maybe they're just known lies. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure. I'd really actually like to know what he says to HW when he asks about his mom. What scene is that in? When he, talk, when he says that she died? Yeah. He says that right in the first town hall meeting. Oh, no, sorry. He says it at the Sunday ranch when the wife goes, where's your, where's your wife? And he said she died. She died in childbirth. She died in childbirth, and then he tells Henry he doesn't want to talk about it. Mm. Mm. There's a moment right in the very beginning where he splashes oil on the camera, and you can like see I it on the camera. I love that. What do you think that's about? Why did they keep it? Yeah. When was that? 
It's well, right at the very beginning. Like when he's down in the mine? Yes. Do you remember that? I don't. So it's there's... like as he's coming up to the top, I think he's pulling the bucket out and it splashes on the camera. So there's oh. two things to that, I think. Directors like to do this thing where they sometimes like to make you aware of the fact that this is something that you're watching. That's a good point. Because a lot of the times they would cut that out. But that kind of goes back to my point about how the camera is just as much a part of the relationship that you have with the characters in the film as as the camera has with the relationship with the characters in the film. Like, like they coexist. They're both there always. Whenever I think of a Paul Thomas Anderson film, I always just feel like he got lucky and set up a camera where people reacted to something humanistically. Mm-hmm. Like, I feel like... Like, if, for instance, they made movies, like, of this quality back in the day, if, you know, Paul Thomas Anderson was a filmmaker back then, he just would film people working and living. And this is what this film is, almost. Like, this film is just capturing movement and that a time. slice of life. Kind exactly. Of that always makes me think of Mr. Gray. Mr. <laughs> <laughs> Shout out to Mr. Gray, our drama teacher from yeah. high school. So. Who's... I had a birthday yesterday, I believe. Yeah. Oh my. Yeah. June twenty fifth. Yeah. So if you're listening, Mr. Gray, shout out, buddy. Happy birthday. <laughs> Happy B day. But to go back to your question, um, and answering it in a different way, logistically, I think it was probably a screw up, and then they kept it because they thought it looked cool. But I know film studies majors and minors would love talking about this <laughs> on on so many levels of writing papers. It uh-huh. is uncanny. So, yeah, I would go with my first answer if I was writing a paper. But if we're being real, I honestly think that a lot of it has to do with they screwed up and it looked cool. And uh, the director may have come up with a reason why it needed to stay in the film because it symbolically referenced the entirety of the film, like I had said. Um, Or um, they didn't notice it. I mean, they obviously noticed it, but it was too late and that shot they can only grab it because li- because they didn't have enough money to do another shot of it now that i'm thinking about it i'm wondering if it kind of goes back to that whole oil connecting everyone yeah so it's kind of pulling you into the story but there's also a moment where when hw becomes his son he puts oil on his forehead and so i'm wondering oh, yeah, if it's right. like maybe well, he doesn't do that daniel doesn't do that his, da- his dad does it his yeah. originally his his original yeah. dad does it on his forehead i thought he was gonna make a cross mm-hmm. that movie that <laughs> if he had done that i was like because because when i was a kid and i was going to church and stuff like that i remember when i had my first communion um they sometimes would do the they take like ash or something and they right. put it on your head and you'd have like a cross on your forehead and i thought that that's what they were gonna do and i was like Man, thinking about that now, Paige, mentioning it, I thought, oh, man, this could, like, add a whole nother level to this film that we could not be thinking about. Like, because that would mean that that, 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 um, HW is the, is the in-between, is the catalyst between religion and wealth. Like, he is, he symbolizes both aspects of the entirety of this film and what it represents is relationships and how the dynamics shift based on those two big factors in our world that we kind of work with today. The music of this movie is unbelievable. Yes. It is what keeps me coming back. Mm -hmm. And I think it starts off right from the very beginning. And this time I was really watching and listening, trying to figure out whether the music was hinting at anything. It kind of seemed to me like it's really like a narrator's voice almost in the movie. It pops up in kind of different ways Mm -hmm. and it has kind of that eerie sound to it. Like a horror film. Yes. And it feels like that when you first start. 
So I wonder if that is hinting at anything, whether it's like Daniel being Daniel, being who he really is. And then there's kind of all these different places where it pops up. Like there's this piece that I really love when they're mapping out the pipeline with Henry. Whatever the music is there, I really like. It's mm. really exciting. It like kind of keeps you engaged. And then when the well lights on fire is my other favorite yeah. piece. To kind of touch on the, the music being like a horror movie, it's almost sometimes it almost didn't fit as to what was going on. I was like, why is the music so creepy right now? Like yeah. is something very strange going to happen? Which is, and it probably tie, like ties into the title where it's kind of like leading to the, the final very shocking moment at the end. I think it is the creation of a monster, like I was saying. Oh. I think that that opening and everything after that provides reference to that first opening sequence. I like that idea. When you think about all of the other movies that do that exact same opening, because this film was made to be a classic. There was so much intention with this film to become a classic over time, rather than already winning tons of Oscars. But like 40 years down the road, people would be teaching this film in class. They already do. But this film, when I think about it, it's like, it's the film for me. It is the Casablanca of my modern age. Like, this film is the film that I would tell my kids to go watch this film if you want to be a film kid. Because it makes you feel cool when you watch (laughs) it. (laughs) Exactly. So, yeah. No, I think it is so much like... The the opening reminds me so much of um, uh, 2001 A Space Odyssey's crescendo of opening up uh, to to that big epic entry but then in this film it is loud and it cuts and it's like it's almost like it's a reference to the creation of something and we're we're meant to pay attention it's like hey pay attention to me and we pay attention and all we see is this man who messes around in a in a in a hole for like 10 minutes and then the shot pans up remember yes the shot pans up and that sound comes up and then it ends and then it cuts to him in the in the well. And then when he breaks his leg and he pulls himself up, we've got that wide shot and then the shot comes down with that same music. And again, like I think it is just us saying it's this is where he came from. If anyone questions his legitimacy as of his past, it doesn't matter. This is the man he he was always meant to be. This sociopath almost (laughs) who is just out for wealth and doesn't know what to do with it because at this point he was born an oil man like this is who he was always meant to be because before this it doesn't matter this is the creation of the monster um and then i don't know going back to kind of like the 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 scene where one of your favorite scenes um the scene where uh, the the oil starts on fire in yes. Little Boston. Why don't you talk about that? So much happens in this scene. Like, it's such a small thing. They're just kind of waiting around, and all of a sudden, they can feel the shaking, which means that they've found gas, and then mm-hmm. it lights on fire. Yeah. And it's just an unending fire. Yeah. And this is when H.W. loses his hearing. Everyone starts freaking out. And there's so many little kind of tidbits that happen during this scene. It's people understanding the well, the danger of the well. Mm-hmm. The townspeople kind of realizing what's really going on it's hw it's daniel not running directly to hw but fletch running directly to hw yeah Mm -hmm. helping him down leaving him in the mess hall running away from him when this child is scared and like i mean he's terrified and he's in a lot of pain and he's begging him to stay and daniel won't because the well is what's really important why does daniel say yes when the well burns i think to him disaster is success like it 
did for him the success breeds from the mess of the well and the mess of what he does to, i don't actually know i don't know where I'm going with this. <laughs> well, no, i had in my notes success the, e- equals disaster or disaster equals success like you had said because you can run with that exact same analogy when you think about the beginning of the film again he breaks his leg but gets tons of money mm. right like every time something bad happens something good will happen so maybe him saying yes is kind of his acknowledgement to think superstitiously this is something bad that's happened but something good will come out of it uh up until that point do they does he know for sure that there's like oil there oil is coming but i think they don't know how much is yeah is that like surgeons of it him being like oh there's a crap ton of oil here like i'm stoked now yeah uh, that's the other reason as i i think it came down to like yeah there's just a lot of oil mm-hmm. here. Yeah. Um, because An ocean of oil. It's a, it's a geyser. Like, it's pretty much a geyser. Like, that's... I don't know. Like, I... I this scene, like, makes me sad, too, because it, it, it takes a... It removes us again from that relation. It removes the relationship from being the, f- the first thing that we see as being the end-all, being-all for Daniel. Because that... Part of this film, my favorite part of this film, is the relationship between him and H.W., but when this thing happened, it's it's almost like HW becomes useless because a piece of him is broken. Mm-hmm. And that's because HW is his selling point. It's his, you know, it's his shiny cufflings when he walks into a room. It's the reason why people notice him because he has everything that someone else doesn't is he's a family man. He is, he can talk the talk and walk the walk, but he has a kid as anybody else doesn't like, do you remember the part where he's talking to everybody in little Boston? He's saying like, cause he's giving the same spiel as everyone else as he's kind of like, you know, cause I'm a family man and blah, blah, blah. And then he goes, um, and then he says, you know, in my, my workers, they will come into the town and they will bring their own families because that is how we work here. And it's like, again, he's just proving the point that he is all about family when he at the end of the day he's not like Mm. nothing he is represents a family and that's why that's again why it makes me think that all he wants past the oil is a family because he literally had no one and that's why i think that he believes or lies to himself that henry is his brother i think he doesn't trust henry but i think that if he if he if he goes with his gut like he always does with all of the things like associated with oil, he will understand that his life to some degree will be falsified. I think you're right. I think I think he does want family at the end of the day, but I think he wants oil more. And that well scene just illustrates that. He makes a choice there. Yeah. He makes a choice to choose the well over HW, and he makes that choice a few times after that to kind of illustrate that that's really not what he truly wants do you think that that's what happens at the end too is he realized that he made his choice and that when his son comes into his room and says look i need we need to be separate now and he's just being an absolute ass he's realized it's almost like daniel can't admit to his mistake of screwing up so he has to destroy the only thing that he always wanted and that is because back in the day he chose he chose oil like that was his choice over his son when his son was hurting in the most significant part in his son's life from what we could see um is his son chose oil and why do you think then why do we get why do we get a uh a shot of 
of H.W. getting married. Why does that matter? I think because it humanizes him. I think it makes the choice for oil later. It makes it different than the way that Daniel chose it. Yeah. He's making it as a choice for his future with his wife and his family or whatever's happening down in Mexico. That's where, we were, that's where he's going, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's in Mexico. Um, whereas Daniel never had that. Daniel has nobody else close to him. He's not making that decision to benefit anybody else. Mm-hmm. He's making it only for himself. Yeah. yeah. I want to talk about the end of the film. I think it is the most... I mean, we've mentioned it a couple times, but legit like the end of the film um and the last shot when the butler comes down the stairs around the corner and daniel's sitting there next to the body and um it's almost like the butler doesn't even like he understands what's gone down here in this room and then daniel says the last thing ever said in the whole film is i'm finished What do you guys think of that sentence? Like, there's so many things I feel like that you can unpack with that. And I just wanted to know what you guys think. Well, I think in like a funny way, he's being like, I'm I'm finished because he was eating dinner. So he's like, I'm finished. Um, But to kind of dig a little deeper, it's just kind of like he's finished with that that long lasting rivalry that he's had for for years. I thought about this a lot tonight. Yeah. And I think that you're right. I honestly think it's just Daniel being Daniel. I think he's referring to his dinner. I think that wow. nothing nothing affects him. Page with the with the page turner there. Sorry. <laughs> nothing affects him. I think that Or does he appear like nothing affects him? I does think he... when it comes to Eli, it doesn't affect him. I think this is like something that's been a pain in his side for a while. Mm. And But he... pain affects people though. I right. think that Daniel I think that the only thing that really affected him was Eli. So is it just like a weight lifted off his shoulder then? I think it, him killing Eli is the I'm finished, meaning I'm finished dinner, but he's falsifying the arduous journey that these two have been to together in a relationship. But I guess that would mean that things affect Daniel, and I don't think things affect Daniel. Oh, no, I don't think things affect Daniel, but I think the only thing that does is Eli. But I think in a small way, the only thing that Daniel can feel real in life about is his relationship with Eli. I think if he doesn't, like, not many people visit Daniel, obviously. The only people that he would know who would want to visit him is people looking to sign some stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and And his son and Eli. Like, the guy doesn't look like he takes guests a whole lot. And I'm sure that when people come to the door to want to talk to him, he tells them to go away. Kind of like Citizen Kane. Like, this is very, this is very Citizen Kane-esque as well. Um, well, the ending of the film is very much Citizen Kane-esque. Um, and so when him saying he's finished, yeah, he's referring to his dinner. But he's doing that almost to tell people that he's... Don't worry about this dead body in the corner. I'm not affected by anything accept this person but don't pay attention to it do you know what i mean like it's like he's trying to still hold up the facade that he is still this strong oil baron when he's not do you think daniel ever thought about eli again oh yeah i think he thought about him every day Mm. i think that there was never a day that went by without 
without Eli popping to his head because he's the one thing that reminds him of the struggles that he's gone through. The only person that has been able to get get under his skin and tell him that his relationship with his son isn't as good as it want it should have been. Like he had the control, the same control. Like Eli had the same control that Daniel had. And though, you know, uh Daniel ended up admitting to you know the control that um Eli had over him Eli still got him by got into his under his skin by saying you abandoned your child and like i said like i think that he finally like i think Daniel that was the first human point we see with Daniel is that yeah he really abandoned his child and i think he believes it when he says it out loud it's like it's almost like when you try to tell somebody it's like say the one thing that's hurting you the most in life out loud and then you say it and then you're like, no, say it louder. And it, it and he, is true. He it's does like, that to Eli, too, at the end there. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And when he kills Eli, it's just like, he's finished. And it's almost like the film that he's telling the he's telling the audience, like, go away. I want to be I left alone. I love that kind of stuff. Like, he's just like, go away. Leave me alone. I'm finished. I'm finished with, like, life. I'm finished with everything. The last thing that I wanted to do was get into a fight with this guy and finally kill him. Because it's like, they get into so many fights in the movie. Can I just ask one question? Why is he eating dinner in the bowling alley? He's literally asleep with his head on a piece of wood. Do you think he just passed out? Oh, he's drunk. Did you see I how know. much vodka he was drinking? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> but I just mean like when we find him, I'm like, we're like, Daniel. Well, Why are you eating down here in the first place? My question he's is... rich as hell. He could do whatever he wants. He's a baller. 35, 28. Ah, <laughs> baby. <laughs> um, no, I think that... I think that it has so much to do with the fact that he doesn't know what to do with himself. He wanders around his house much in the way that someone might wander around the desert looking for oil. Like, it's just, it's just, uh, <laughs> it's just kind of like he's lost. He doesn't know what he's doing, and his son knows what he wants, and he's envious of that. And he's envious of the fact that his son got both his. The person, the family he wanted and is able to find oil because he taught him, you know, and it's like, and Daniel never took time to really understand that that's the thing he really needed before he needed oil. He thought that he needed oil to find people. And it's like, nah, dude, like, I don't know. I Yeah, like, I think that his, like, when you think about it, like, listen, when you listen to the one thing that HW says to Daniel is that I want to get back in the field and basically be like, what, do what we used to do, like wander around. It's like, that's so much, that's so much what of the old West was. It was just basically tons of people wandering to find, you know, happiness, finding the, you know, the, the, the Eden, the garden of Eden in their own lives and stuff like that. And, and then Daniel finally found it because he thought that this is what he needed. But it's not the Garden of Eden, I guess, that he wanted, maybe. I don't know. And I think that brings us to the end of our discussion of There Will Be Blood. And there was, so that's good. Ah. <laughs> how do you think we did, Corey? I think we did fine, just as always. <laughs> and Paige, how do you think we did? I think it was awesome. Yeah. I'm so happy to be part of the pod squad. <laughs> <Yay>! <laughs> Hashtag pod squad. Hashtag pod squad. <laughs> I think this film is really good that we picked this one because uh, I love Paul Thomas Anderson. And not only is it coincidental that it's his birthday when we're recording this, but it's also like really interesting that we haven't done a Paul Thomas Anderson film yet. And he's one of my favorite directors. And 
and it's he's all, he's my, only my favorite director in the last actually since this film. It was after this film that I realized that all his film afterwards, it was almost like he is the director that he is now because of this film. I think that this film really solidified kind of what element of a storyteller he wants to be. Um, and it's someone who captures reality through just placing a camera down and hoping for the best. And I think it, what I mean by that is that he captures human emotions in a way that I don't think is captured very well mm. a lot these days in most films, um, or at least to not at, at least to this extent, um, so real and so visceral. Mm-hmm. So, but as we always like to do, we like to give a arbitrary review because we like to maintain that we are not film reviewers; we are film discussers. We discuss. We dis- We discuss. We discuss. We discuss films. <laughs> so, Corey. Yeah. What is your arbitrary review for this film? Uh, I would give this film $5,000 a week via oil sales. And Paige, what would we give this film? You got notes, don't you? I would give this film 10 out of 10 gross jars of goat's milk. Nice. <laughs> did you write that down for your notes? Sure did. <laughs> um, and I would give this film, I eat it up. I eat you up, Eli. <laughs> Wonder milkshake. I told you I would eat you. Eli. I told you I would eat you. Also, uh, he eats Eli as he eats dinner. Well, I don't know about that. Well, just... I would have loved to have seen him just like bite Eli. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> I'm hungry. Just the last clip. Or just stick, stick a straw in his head. <laughs> I drink it up, Eli. I drink your milkshake. No, I give it like I give it like one good, really good milkshake because I really like milkshakes. <laughs> A good coconut milkshake. I love coconut. A coconut milkshake? Where from? Dude, what do you mean where from? Uh, The Board Game Cafe. Yeah, Board Game Cafe. Ooh, I've Mm. never been. But with that brings us to the end of another episode of the Real Rant Podcast. Paige, it was an absolute pleasure to have you on the Mm. show this week. A real treat. Yeah, a real treat. We've been in talks to have you on the show since probably January, I think. Um, And it is now June. And the best thing I can say to that is the fact that you only come home twice a year, so. That's right. <laughs> and I made time for you two. Oh, it feels so special. Yeah. Um, but thank you so much. I uh, really appreciate it. Corey. Yeah. Is there one last word that you'd like to say before we end the show? Drainage. Paige. Milkshake. And scene. <laughs>